you got to meet people where they are and you have to engage people and through that engagement we're able to move people along one by one the ethicist corner brought to you by the kegley institute of ethics all right welcome everybody to the ethicist corner a podcast in which we discuss ethics in everyday life my guest today is councilman andre gonzalez who since 2016 has represented downtown Bakersfield, uh, or Ward 2 uh, on the Bakersfield City Council. Andre is also the founder of four Kern County-based nonprofit organizations and collaboratives, uh, quite a few, Faith in Action Kern County, Children First, Kern Alliance of Nonprofits, and the Hub of Bakersfield. And he also serves as a board member for several other local organizations, including Bike Bakersfield and the Kern County Black Chamber of Commerce, amongst others. Uh, so, Councilman Gonzalez, thanks so much for being with us. Welcome to the Ethicist Corner. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here. It's, uh, it's an honor. Uh, it's, it's awesome to have you here. We're super excited to chat with you today. Um, and, I, you know, I think, first of all, many of our listeners, listeners, local listeners anyway, will know who you are. But um, for those who don't know kind of about your background, can you talk a bit about uh, where you're from and your journey to a career in politics and public service? Sure. Well, I was born and raised here in Bakersfield, California. Went to East Bakersfield High School. Graduated in the year 2000 and then uh, had an opportunity to go off to school. Went to uh, UC Berkeley. Studied there and actually at Georgetown. Ended up graduating from Berkeley uh, and then upon graduation uh, really wanted to do work that, that, that related to community development. Right? How do The big question in my life at that time was how do we move you know, people who are experiencing poverty, how do we move them out of poverty? And then more, moreover, how do we transform neighborhoods? How do we do that? So that was the big compelling vision or question that was sort of guiding my, guiding my young adult life and something that I wanted to pursue and sink my teeth into in, in, my, in my own journey. And so um, that big question brought me to Bakersfield because you know, one night in particular, I just kind of realized that if I want to do community development work, what better place to go than my own community? Yeah. That so desperately and clearly needed it. And so not, not that I was trying to suggest that I had all the answers, but I just wanted to get plugged in and help uh, engage in a meaningful way. All right. So that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, that, I mean, the, the transformative work that you're talking about, and part of what that brings to mind for me is this idea of, of working closely right, with the Bakersfield community and individuals in the community to achieve that transformation, right, and kind of uh, revitalizing our neighborhoods or improving our neighborhoods or improving our city in some way. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, given, given the work you've done as a, as, a, as a council member and kind of your political organizational career, what are ways that you have found successful in engaging the community in that process? Um, I'm wondering if you have an example or really kind of like concrete strategies for doing that, right? And part of the reason I ask is, Personally, I'm interested in that, but anybody who's trying to do impactful work in a community, a big part of that is having community members want to be involved and actually offering their insights to you in, as part of that process. So how do you facilitate that happening in your work? And I'm sure there's not just one way, but can you give us some insight into that? Yeah, I've really, over the years, developed my own theory of change, right? How, how, how we actually do this and how do neighborhoods actually transform and 
and what are, what are the effective approaches to community engagement and and i'm convinced that you know we can change policy which is required we can we can allocate money to certain projects and rearrange budgets which is also required and we have to have those conversations to to support underserved communities but fundamentally you cannot ignore the idea of a culture right of a community that is established that is more to do with, um, with uh, more to do with people right and their their experiences and how they experience their neighborhood how they how they experience one another it's that culture that also has to shift and and the way to do that is by bringing people along right there's there's no easy way to do this work and because you have to do it where they are you, you can't have a community meeting at city hall and expect people to show up mm -hmm. you can't uh you know there's no shortcuts around it you can't just write a beautiful glossy newsletter and expect everyone to read it and be informed no matter how many languages you you translate it into no you have to meet people where they are in the neighborhoods, right? You have to engage them at their doorstep. You have to go to the places that they attend, whether it be the laundromat or the, the you know, the taco shop uh, on the corner or, or, you know, wherever it is, you gotta meet people where they are and you have to engage people. And through, ch through that engagement, we're able to move people along one by one. I think what we need to do is continuously challenge people's notion that uh, government doesn't care, that people in power don't care, that, you know, the west side gets more resources than the east side. I mean, some of those things may be true in certain places, but we also have to show, we have to provide evidence for people that, yes, there are people who are working on their behalf, that no matter where they live in, for example, East Bakersfield or, or other underserved neighborhoods, that there are people who are working and fighting for them and we are making some progress. Yeah, and so let me ask you, of course, because I think you said a number of important things there, but in terms of kind of inspiring hope and creating these connections in the community, um, obviously in the midst of a pandemic, right, maybe some of the ways you did that before aren't, at, aren't possible, right, anymore in terms of kind of going to, you know, uh, large community gatherings, for example, or extensive face-to-face -face conversations. And so I'm wondering, are there, are the ways that you've adapted, you know, your strategies just in terms of engaging people, like um, as the pandemic has hit that you have found effective and still, you know, being able to hear people and talk to people and, and kind of do that aspect of, of your work? Yeah, you know, I've always felt like, you know, I can't be anybody else but Andre, right? And so I have to do this in, what's, in a way that's authentic to me. And the way I've tried to do that is really establishing a strong you know, for lack of a better term, feedback loop, right? To always kind of understand where people are coming from uh, and, and keeping a pulse on what the needs are in the community. And so one of those things are, you know, the, the amount of uh, food insecurity that exists um, in many of our neighborhoods throughout, throughout, throughout the city. And, um, you know, in the past, I had really not been too interested in, you know, organizing food distribution events. Not, not because it's not important work, but just because I felt like someone else has that covered and they're doing it, they're doing it well. And like I said, I wanted to do more community development, long-term transformational work mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily, you know, emergency service delivery work. But you can't, rec you can't, you can't ignore 
the, the real need. You can't, you know, and I, I could not um, ignore that people, many people were suffering, many people had suffered even before the pandemic with regards to, to food insecurity, but this whole uh, pandemic and economic crisis for many has only exasperated that insecurity. And so it was important then to, to respond. And so through Children First, we established a monthly uh, food distribution event. We partnered with uh, Community Action Partnership at Kern. In a similar way, you know, we partnered with other places like Little Caesars to provide free pizzas to the neighborhood and given out several hundred uh, pizzas and just, just trying to really pull in different resources wherever I can find them. So throughout the pandemic, we've just been trying to find any resources we can to to respond to those immediate needs. But man, so many things have changed and, and the needs have changed so much and so quickly that I've had to adapt. And, right. and, and, you, and so leadership requires that agility to be able to move beyond what you may have planned, right? You, you may have a game plan, a strategy, but the game may change and you have to be ready. You have to be, you have to be um, quick, you have to be smart, you have to think on your feet on how to respond to the needs of your people right away. Yeah, and so that's, that's an interesting point you make um, in terms of kind of what leadership requires in you know, the, these dynamic times, but really kind of, you know, there's always challenges that are gonna face you as a leader and the need to adapt quickly and sometimes your best made plans don't necessarily uh, follow that exact path, right? And so, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering, um, as far as, you know, when you think about your leadership style and, and what you've been talking about in this, uh, in our discussion thus far, if there are people, you know, either from near or uh, people you've known in your own life or from afar that have helped shape your conception of leadership in public service, um, whether again, by a family member or somebody else, I'd be interested in who has been an exemplar for you um, in terms of helping shape that idea for you. Uh, the number one person was my, my father. I lost my dad five years ago. Um, but growing up, um, and for 37 years, he was a community college counselor at Bakersfield College, and he was the director of a program called EOPS, Extended Opportunities, Programs, and Services, and so growing up, I had a, an opportunity, a firsthand look at his, you know, style of leadership, uh, as he served uh, a very important population of people who were you know, first time college going students who are trying to make it, um, who are trying to get through Bakersfield College, he really went above and beyond to provide resources for them. Um, you know, he worked a lot with, for example, single mothers and provided resources. And so I got to go along with him on a lot of his activities and a lot of the community events he participated in. And I got to see what it meant. And my, my dad was, um, was a very, um, you know, humble man. And he was a very, um, he, he, he wasn't one to give, you know, interviews or public speeches or whatnot, but and he didn't really care about, you know, getting accolades or he, he you know, wasn't seeking credit. He just really cared with, with his whole heart. He cared about people and he wanted to see people succeed. And so that really inculcated within me you know, certain values of, of what it means to serve others. And, you know, there's this term servant leadership mm -hmm. um, that, that means different things for, for other people. But for me, that really is what, what, what I believe is, um, 
you know, is the type of leadership that I would like to uh, practice. That idea that, um, that, you know, we are committed to something that is more than just a job, that is more than just, um, you know, about an election or about a, an, is much deeper than an elected position, that public service really is something that's sacred. Mm-hmm. That is, um, you know, you know, almost, you know, kind of, you know, almost at a spiritual level, something that's very sacred and special and um, should be protected uh, because you're dealing with people's lives, because you're, 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 you know, people are inviting you into their, to their homes to talk about some issues that they're their lives, their, their children's lives, their, their, you know, their parents' lives, whatever it is that, and that for me is very sacred. That's very, that, that should, that's worth protecting and, and respecting and it's very deep. And so for me, it's about, you know, giving of ourselves and going, always trying to go in the next step, right? That extra mile in order to help serve people and to do whatever we can at whatever level to help serve others. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting response. I mean, I actually just just this week was doing an ethics workshop for Kern Leaders Academy here in Bakersfield, and we were talking about servant leadership and uh, uh-huh. that aspect of what you're mentioning there. It's a super interesting comment, and it and it brings to mind for me too a bit of kind of the the ethical dimensions of leadership. You know, caring for others, realizing the impact that your actions can have on a community, and um, uh, the goals and aims uh, and quality of life of, of, of members of our community. And I, I wonder with your approach to leadership, um, you know, how does ethics fit in there? Kind of what, what are ways that ethics or ethical concerns show up in, in your work as a council member? And feel free to interpret that as you see fit, whether a challenge or a commitment or a value, however you'd like to, however you think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's so many ways. I mean, I think from, you know, an elected official position, I think, you know, comes up, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of, you know, what I believe is the responsibility of a public servant, right? And others, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on any of my my colleagues or anyone in general, but, you know, often in general, in in American society, the the perception of a politician is not, um, you know, is not looked upon very highly, right? It it is, you know, there are certain attributes of an elected politician that are actually not not very flattering you know the fact that they're they're self-interested and they're only motivated uh towards their own towards their own uh old goals and agendas uh that money rules the day and certainly those aspects are there um but i i i'm trying to you know in, in my own humble small way in bakersville trying to lead with this idea of this public being really a public servant and really looking at what is in what is in the best interest of the entire community, and with that comes a lot of ethical uh, dilemmas. I mean, Bakersfield is a growing city. We are the ninth largest city in in uh, the state of California. Uh, as we continue to grow, uh, there are many issues that are bubbling up uh, that create a lot of conflict and and you you and your 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 listeners um 
may have heard of the term NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. Yeah. And, and there are many decisions that we're trying to make in terms of policy to meet the demands of a growing city that conflict with certain people who don't want them in their residential neighborhood, right? So if they're living in, for example, a single family neighborhood, right? They want to, many property owners are going to try to protect their their neighborhood and and, you know, that may be the ethical thing to do. And from their perspective, you know, they in fact want to preserve a neighborhood that they were promised. When they purchased their home, they had a tacit agreement with uh, the city that that, that that zoning would be protected. That single family residential neighborhood would be protected. But now all of a sudden, you know, we're talking, we, we've, we passed an ordinance to allow accessory dwelling units, which allow property owners and make it easier for them to add uh, mother-in-law units or additional uh, units on, in their backyard so that they can rent out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was a supporter of this because uh, we're looking at the need for more affordable housing in our community. Um, and for me, that is also an ethical consideration. Uh, many residents come out and complain, right? The, the, what we call NIMBYs will say, not in my backyard. We don't want these developments in our backyard. And, yeah. and they, you know, so many say it's a good project, worthwhile, but not here. This is not the right neighborhood. And we hear that all the time. Um, and so my question is, okay, what is the right neighborhood, right? Yeah. Uh, we can't relegate all of the affordable housing in, in East Bakersfield or in one particular neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, so only perpetuating the you know, neighborhoods of poverty. Uh, we have to we have to be strategic and, and move these projects along in various different parts of our growing city. Right. And I think your example kind of lays out pretty well like the, the different complexities there where you might think that majority of Bakersfieldians, right, want there to be better solutions to homelessness and um, want people who are currently homeless to be housed and to be supported and to try and at least resolve that problem. But there's you know, these, what we call in ethics, I guess, kind of value trade-offs or value conflicts, right? In this case, maybe the, the value of kind of the good for the community, good for others versus individual goods, right? Uh, as a certain conception of that, like my backyard, what I want for my neighborhood versus what I want for the community as a whole. And ideally those things go together, but in the example you're giving sometimes, right, you can see how there could be a tension between those ends. And, and that seems like that's something you need to navigate as a as a public servant. And I, you know, so I, it's, it's a helpful example and I, I can see kind of how challenging that, that work must be in practice, but also it's great to hear about the actual concrete steps that are being taken in our city too. Um, and I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about that a little bit in terms of the, the, some of the projects that you're doing downtown and um, you know, some of the visibility of those projects. And, you know, one of, one of the projects that, you know, amongst many uh, is kind of the hub of Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I know that that's a project that I've seen uh, around and advertised a bit. And I know there's a lot happening in terms of kind of raising positivity about Bakersfield and getting people involved in improving their community and, and innovation, new ideas. But I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about the hub of Bakersfield, like what that is and kind of some of the current projects you're working on. So the hub of Bakersfield was was built with the idea that the urban core um, of Bakersfield was the heart of Bakersfield and required thoughtful, smart individuals to really invest their time, their energy, their heart into revitalizing 
and, and perpetuating the, the revitalization efforts of not just downtown, but lots of parts of, of, of Bakersfield, which are considered more urban, right, as opposed to the suburbs. And, and so, uh, you know, I formed this nonprofit with that, with that idea in mind, that, that we really have to be intentional about the revitalization efforts of the urban core. Uh, that, that, you know, businesses were doing their part, but really there's some things that, that are required that businesses really don't have the incentive, financial incentive to do, right? Government obviously is involved and I'm a councilman, so I know that firsthand, but even still government doesn't necessarily have the capacity to do everything. So there seemed to be this gap, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so the hub is really trying to fill that gap. And the way we're doing that is we're saying, look, we want to explore three different dimensions, right? People, places, and happenings. The idea is that those three elements would really create a vibrant uh, downtown, vibrant neighborhoods. People meaning you got to bring more people in, right? You got you got to continue to 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 fill that pipeline with new thoughts, new ideas, new creativity, new leadership. It can't be the Andre Gonzalez show, you know, seven days a week, right? Because yeah. someday I'm, I'm going to get tired or I'm going to move on to different things or I may get hit by a garbage truck, you know, God forbid. But those things happen, right? But in order for the long-term work to happen, it has to be bigger than just one person or a few people. And in order to do that is you got to continue to encourage them, not discourage them. And that that's hard for humans sometimes to do because we all kind of, get you know territorial a little bit or we have our egos involved in things it's hard to see someone younger smarter more creative come in but it's it's required for the betterment of our community mm -hmm. and so the hub is really looking for new people to bring in and we have this thing called the innovation lab where we select individuals to participate in a six to ten month program that get that learn all the different dimensions of downtown and and all the players and what's really happening in a more detailed way they go off to another city to look at how they're redeveloping and then they come back and and organize a project to to develop right in the downtown core and so that that that's what we really believe in that first and foremost we got to focus on people and then we got to focus on places and that built environment quote unquote built environment this is the way the downtown or different neighborhoods look right how do we create that that sense of place for individuals when when you get there you know you arrived and if your listeners know and if they travel you know, they know what I'm talking about. You go to certain cities or certain neighborhoods and cities and you just know you're somewhere, right? You just know you're somewhere special. Right. And it may be like a monument sign that, that has the name of the city in big letters that you want to take a photo of, or it may be this cool public art piece or a mural, or it just may be the the way the whole block or a few blocks are just put together, right? Uh, there's may, maybe string lights or maybe, you know, it's, it's the trees or maybe it's something that you can't really put your finger on, but you just experience it because this place is really well designed. That's what we also want to do as well. We want to work with both the city and private partners to create a better sense of place for our downtown core. And we have a committee that's responsible for that. And then finally, we have the happenings committee. And, uh, uh, you know, I love parties and and we have to have these events that are really the kinetic energy for our community, right? It creates the excitement. And so we do these things called this monthly event called Second Saturday, 
where we highlight all of the wonderful things that are happening throughout different businesses and we encourage them to have workshops, events, uh, you know, mini concerts all on that second Saturday. Mm -hmm. Because the vision is to have and to see lots of people walking from shop to shop, you know, strolling, bike riding, lots of activity happening in our downtown core on a Saturday where ordinarily many people would be other places, right? Uh, downtown Bakersfield typically is hot and heavy, you know, during the week. On the weekends, it's a little slower. So we really wanted to try to try to continue to invite people to spend time downtown as their as their playground. Obviously, it's a little harder right now due to the pandemic, right. but uh, notwithstanding that, that's sort of the vision of of the happenings committee to create those events that again create that energy for the downtown. Yeah, a huge fan of the project and um, the positivity around it and kind of celebrating our community and trying to bring people together. So I think that's really all awesome aims. And just one question for people who are our listeners who are interested in getting involved with the hub, is there a website or specific area they could go to to, to get involved and learn more? Yeah, they can follow uh, us on Instagram or Facebook. It's the hub of Bakersfield. And they can go to also our website at thehubofbakersfield.org and they can find out more information there. Awesome. Fantastic. So, um, Andre, we have a tradition in the podcast that we call the, the lightning round, which is uh, just okay. a lot of fun questions that help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Um, okay. And, uh, so, uh, the first one, I'll just jump right in. Uh, today, if you could have dinner with any two people, past or present, who would it be and why? Uh, okay. That's Oh man, there's so many people. Um, I, I think uh, Pope Francis would probably be one um, because I'm just interested in understanding how much influence he really has in guiding the church forward and, and how those dynamics work. I mean, it's such a huge institution with so much tradition mm -hmm. uh, and maybe a big bureaucracy. I wonder like, how do you navigate that in a real, real way? And, and where do you exert your influence? And how does that, how does change happen in a, such a huge organization that is, that is not just a church, it's also a government, it's also a culture. It's, I mean, there's so many different dynamics. I like to see how, how kind of he thinks, uh, he thinks about it. Uh -huh. um, and, and, and then I guess, uh, you know, I would like to uh, also meet JFK and kind of just know him at a more personal level. Same different, same dinner or different? Would you put them at the same table? Oh, or would you do one it, one? No, it would require two different dinners. Although we, we'd all be Catholic. I, I'm sure it would be fine, but uh, I, I need to get in deep with both of them. Yeah, right. Okay. So maybe start at the Padre, go over to Mama Roomba's for JFK. And split That's those right. Am I right? Okay. All right. Uh, what is the best movie you have watched in quarantine? All right. I don't know about movies, but I will say I've been watching a lot of uh, Netflix. Um, and so I've, I, I never used to watch TV, but during quarantine, I've watched, I've caught up on um, The Good Place, which has uh -huh. been a wonderful series. And then um, also uh, Community, uh, New Girl. Um, but yeah, community I love. Okay. Uh, uh, until Donald Glover. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, Norma's a big fan as well. Our podcast producer Norma loves it too. Yeah, Greendale. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it up until Donald Glover leaves the show, and then I'm 
then it's hard for me to keep up. He's it's hard for me to stay in tune. Yeah. Big Donald Glover fan, but uh, but then you know on uh, Disney Plus, I I watched uh, Hamilton. I ended up watching it several times. Mm. Uh, it was a big fan, so that probably has to be the best. Uh, I don't know if you consider that a movie, but I, I'll consider it for this question a big, uh, you know, the best movie during quarantine. Fantastic. So when we are allowed to travel more freely, um, where is the first place you'd like to go and spend some time? I uh, had a chance last year to go to the Basque country mm. because we're the city of Bakersfield is trying to establish a new sister city with um, Saint-Jean-de-Luz, which is in southern France. And on my trip, I had a chance to drive down to uh, to Spain and went to San Sebastian and um, uh, Bilbao and really enjoyed my time. But I also um, kind of went off the beaten path and found this small little village called Oñati and took a hike up to the uh, Monasterio de Nuestra Señora de Aranzazu. And uh, it's this beautiful monastery, Franciscan monastery up in the mountains. Um, and it, you know, it was a three mile hike up the mountain, mm. um, but real, no, actually, no, I take that back. It was like eight to 10 mile hike up the mountain. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun just to be, I was by myself, um, beautiful surroundings, you know, beautiful village and just went to the monastery, got to reflect and it was just a beautiful kind of peaceful experience. And one of those moments where I felt like I was just at the right place at the right time. And it was just right. like meant to be there. And it was mm -hmm. one with the universe and the world. And mm -hmm. um, it was, is really important for me. So I'm looking forward to finding that again and to yeah. going on another adventure. Sounds wonderful. Um, yeah. So uh, you co-host a podcast uh, called Hello Bakersfield. Yeah, And uh, I'm wondering, again, if there's lots of names you could give, but just for today, who, who is your, who would be your dream podcast guest? Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien. Okay. I, right. I listen to his podcast a lot. Conan Needs a Friend. It's one of my favorite podcasts. And so I think he'd be fun. And I like to, even though he has no association with Bakersfield at all, I think it would be fun to have him in town and then they get him on the podcast to get his perceptions. Agreed. Yeah. He's kind of like a, you know, self uh, deprecating uh, comedian, which I enjoy. And, you know, I think that's a good fit for our community. You know, sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. I think we're a little self deprecating uh, and definitely, um, you know, something we talk about on hello Bakersfield, the, the podcast that I host is, you know, sometimes the challenge for us is that we, we don't, and we have sort of a collective, uh, self-esteem issue right mm -hmm. and we don't necessarily uh, think highly of ourselves and 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 others outside the community actually think uh, more highly of us than we do at times and we're sometimes sometimes we put ourselves down and so you know i am um, and actually there's been some research some survey research that that um ver validates what you know what we can all sense that you know in, in certain surveys people from outside the area had a more positive vision of Bakersfield mm -hmm. uh, than residents within Bakersfield. And so that's really problematic for me. 
uh, as somebody who's a champion for Bakersfield, but also a leader in this community. Mm -hmm. um, it really bothers me. So we're trying to really change that narrative. And sometimes humor helps, right? Sometimes yes. that self-deprecating humor helps and helps us move along. And, you know, we're not perfect. Obviously, we have our issues. We have a lot of work to do in certain areas. Uh, you're helping us with some of that work as it comes to uh, police, our police department. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's really a positive thing. So I'm not trying to sugarcoat it or say we're perfect, but certainly um, I think we need to give ourselves a little bit more credit. And, and anyway, I think Conan would, would help us do that. Oh, well, yeah, well said, well said. I'm all for that. If you can get him on your podcast, let me know, I'll listen. Okay. I, already, I already listened to your podcast, but I'll listen even more intently. So thanks so much, Andre, for, for being with us. Um, really appreciate the time. I know you're busy and um, it's been great, uh, great talking with you and getting to learn a little bit more about your work. You bet. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I, had, I had a lot of fun. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ethicist Corner podcast, a production of the Kegley Institute of Ethics. To hear future episodes, follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or iHeartRadio.